Wayne Sprouty, the talks for the superstar tonight. tonight this is Office Hours. I'm Ernest Wilkins. And I'm Alex Meadowkow. We are recording this in Chicago, Illinois, where J.B. Pritzker, our recently elected governor, campaigned on the promise that marijuana legalization would bring vast economic benefits to the state, claiming that, quote, taxation of marijuana could generate $800 million to $1 billion a year, end quote. Um, well, the first step has come to pass, and Illinois has become the 11th state to legalize recreational marijuana with the first retail sales set to begin on January 1st of 2020. In 2017, already with medicinal, medicinal marijuana legal, Illinois reaped more than $91 billion, and we expect that recreational marijuana will yield more money in taxes and fees because that's exactly what has happened in every other state where this has come to pass. Um, California levies a 15% state tax on recreational and medicinal marijuana, and that's not even counting the local and uh, local taxes and fees. So everybody's uh, making money on this. There's vast economic benefits uh, to be had. And, and beyond just tax revenue, we're seeing the possibility for raw income and jobs growth uh, from both the agricultural side to the distribution, warehousing, testing, laboratories, uh, et cetera, tons of direct and indirect benefits. We're going to be seeing benefits in, in terms of saved tax dollars uh, from eliminating the cost of unnecessary enforcement uh, and, and overall lower end user prices as products beca- become more widely available. And we're seeing investment opportunities. So one of the things we're going to talk about on today's office hours is the ways that Chicagoans are bringing home those economic opportunities and the way that we're going to see them come to fruit here in Chicago. You see, folks, that what you just heard was a cultural exchange. That literally was what it sounds like when cultures are exchanging for the first time. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm very happy to have this man in the studio today, a very influential person. The thing we said on Office Hours is we want the influencers that influence the influencers. You feel me? Um, so th- all that being said, ladies and gentlemen, big homie Doe is in the building. Yo, what's going on, guys? <laughs> How are you, man? How I'm you feeling? I'm good. How you feeling? Fantastic. So we want to talk about, this episode is about marijuana, right? And we want to talk about it from a standpoint of the culture and the business behind the culture. And so to that point, we wanted to bring you in because we felt like you are literally an embodiment of culture and business, you know, culturally relevant. You have a lot of stuff and we'll get to that in a second. But business is kind of where you're kind of living right now. And it's a pretty good business to be in. Yeah, it's a pretty it's amazing business to be in. Um, Yeah, we just blessed to be in a position, being a long time uh, enthusiast, uh, (laughs) just getting the opportunity to um, get some skin in the game. You know what I'm saying? Especially being a person of color. Um, and being from, you know, the culture, mm-hmm. I think it's important that we have representation in that field. So we're just excited to be in a position where we can, you know, bring that to the forefront. Okay. So, though, for the for the folks who don't necessarily know who you are, do you want to give us the background? Because this is always something I've learned that culturally, when you introduce somebody in a business context with a rap name, a lot of times the person on the, the introduction side is like, Hi, Mr. Doe. How are you? You know what I mean? It's like, so there's always that awkward pause. So for those who don't know, give them the background on Big Homie Doe. Um, Well, I started out as an artist, um, then uh, had my own label. Uh, 
another artist that was on the label by the name of King Louie. Yes. Which uh, is um, my artist. He's a Chicago legendary artist, uh, Grammy-nominated artist. Um, and we were doing music for a while, and things kind of picked up. So uh, we felt like we needed somebody on the business front, so I stepped up uh, to the plate. Yeah. So we can make bigger moves, man. So and I remember, I mean, and you were with Lawless forever. Um, what 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 I am? I remember that shit. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think it's really funny because witnessing it from the because I met you music like on the music side yeah. of things, and then you know with the Louis thing that pops off. And for those who do not understand or know, King Louis, I would say is probably one of the most underrated in terms of influence. Um, rappers that has come out in the last 30 years. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and, and I stand on that because of what I've seen and then what has come from what I've seen. And and for contextual purposes, you know, writing and doing music journalism for as long as I have, you know, we kind of were at the beginning and crux of what was known as the drill movement in Chicago where they went national, you know, from the local rap scene becoming a national thing and inspiring so many people all over the world to the point where, like, I saw a headline the other day where it was like, UK drill artist, and I was like, huh? You know what's so funny? I literally just did an interview with a, um, a UK uh, blog. The guy came all the way out here from the United Kingdom, and uh, we linked up. Shout out to David Drake. He put it together. Yeah, half. So, yeah. Drake's so, half <laughs> We linked up and chopped it up. And it was crazy. I kept telling him, like, we didn't set out to like purposely carve out a sub genre of music, right? Or to purposely be like, we're gonna do this thing called drill. This is how it's gonna go. Well, we're even before that, the, the drill stuff it was drill style yeah. forever. And yeah. so I think that's always a situation where like you have to kind of know where the. Uh, I'm always been again. This is the corniest thing out of about me. I'm always like, what's the backstory behind that? Because you want to know. Because right. I don't. I also have always thought it was weird when people just follow stuff without knowing what it is. You know what I'm saying? Like, people just wear something. I'm like, you don't even know what you're wearing. Yeah. That's kind of how the masses is, though. So you just got to understand that right. and move like that. But we don't get caught up in that. We understand right. uh, our influence. You know, even just being around our peers or people that we look to. Right. And, you know, them giving us praise and things like and, that. And, so. and this is part of the history of hip-hop, right? Like, there are elements of, you know, New, music, New Orleans yeah. jazz and yeah. what comes out of Brooklyn. Yeah. And yeah. there's It still know, blow my mind today. Like I said, I was just telling a guy in the interview, like, it's weird that I'm sitting here talking to you about Right, because it, it it wasn't set out for that. It was a whole different, yeah, thing going it on. Something. You because the thing is, it's always funny too. Because and this is the part where you know you talk about the intersection of culture and business, where it's like the cultural side of it is you're legit just hanging with your friends, right? You know, doing something that you were gonna do anyway, and then the next thing you know, people are paying you to do the thing that you were just doing with your friends. Like yeah. I understand why celebrities go crazy. I really do. Because it's like, wait, y'all, what? Like, huh? Well, well there's also, I mean, like, c- celebrities on the level of, like, Prince or Paul McCartney, where these guys haven't heard the word no for 35 years, yeah, you know? that's crazy. Like, that man. is crazy. It's like yeah. Prince wakes up, he's like, I want a camel. Well, he, yeah. Well, like, he did. He did. <laughs> yeah, time. exactly. But, I mean, the, the idea that you're able to take something that you're yeah. doing for fun and make it yeah. into your business. Yeah. Is, that's and amazing. then to even keep going after that, like, we just... At this point that we are now, we've taken steps of, you know, outside of music with the business, right. which we've always kind of done in a way because we've done like small roles in television shows and things oh, yeah. like that. So we always kind of like been, you know, having that lane available to yeah. us, but now we just fully integrated in it now. Don't so. sleep because Doe definitely is out here under the acting act. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was on Empire. Yep, I yeah. was on Empire. The you, first oh, episode, actually. The, oh, casual. <laughs> Go flex. Okay, it's cool. Um, Shout out to you, man. That's that's a I think so. That's an interesting piece of it. And so I want to take a step back. 
when you're getting into these rooms, did you feel overwhelmed? Or did you feel like, oh, okay, I think I have a sense of what's going on? Did you pick it up? I mean, quickly? initially you feel overwhelmed because, I mean, how how I got to the point where I was um like full day to day manager, it just kind of came up out the blue. At first, we was you know he was an artist on the label. Right. Then we did a you know a situation with a company, um, and then at that point I was doing A and R work. Um, so I've always like put together this projects um, sonically, picked mm-hmm. out the producers, track list. All right, real quick, this is time for our new segment. It's called Resume. Are you ready for this? So this means wherever we have a guest, we ask them about something on their resume that people don't know. So for the sake of this week's resume, go. What is something that the average public doesn't understand about A&R? Hmm. I think um, the biggest thing is just a misconception of what an A&R is and what it means to be an A&R. Um, it's it's kind of bigger than just picking out beats. Um, personally, for me, it's more so about the relationships and pairing the right relationships to bring the best product to life. I don't want to just get emailed a bunch of beats and you know do it like that. I try to find people that we got chemistry with, or if I know we got chemistry with certain producers, we'll continue to work with them, continue to build and craft a sound. Um, but I always it was always important for me to just work with people that I have personal relationships, even more so at this point with the new project that we're putting together. A lot of the producers we have great relationships with, personal relationships with, and it's, it's just kind of easier to do business. It's an easier process. Um, you get to fully relay the message you're trying to get to them and, you know, what they're trying to convey to you. It's just an easier conversation, but for me, it's always a feeling, honestly. Like, I got to feel the music. I got to feel the beats. Um, I just don't think it's more so like, because some people just do it as a job. You know, they look at it and on paper, it's like, oh, this looks good. This is supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. In a lot of those cases, you get collaborations that may not work or it's right. not up to expectations yeah. and things like that. So whenever I find chemistry between um, artists and producer, I just try to, recreate that as much as possible and when working with new people i try to find that chemistry and find out how it's gonna work that's amazing and and how much of this is like over email and disconnected versus in the room together i'm very personal so um even if it is via email i would like at a point be like well what's your number get on the call uh, or facetime or something like that because i'm just a real person who like that with uh, with right. my business, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So you want to know who you're dealing with. Yeah, yeah. And get a sense of you know, because sometimes it's the ancillary things outside of music that let me know this is a good person or this person is has a good work ethic or things like that. Like if I they talk about their kids or if they family oriented, mm-hmm. and I know like okay, they understand priorities and they understand right, you know, the importance of time and, and things like that. So it's just small things that I look for, and, and with doing like serious business with people. But it's also other situations where you come across talent mm-hmm. and you know it's talent and you might work with it. But for me, it's, it's like I said, it's just start with a feeling. That's great. So I think when it comes to, you know, the cultural side of that and understanding the business side of it now, you know, you've worked in A&R and now you're progressing. At what point did you kind of look around and say, you know, there's more than this? Because obviously, you know, the stuff with Louis going crazy and this is probably, you know, like when was like like the Yeezus era? Like, you know, Send it up and all that well, stuff. Well, honestly, yeah, yeah. I knew it was more than this. Like, and not even to sound arrogant or anything, but a long time ago, and it's crazy because I remember being in high school and people would just be like, "Cause I used to always like to wear like all Rockwell, all right. Sean John, because I was yeah. like super fan of Jay Z." <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, "Yo, he came from the projects. 
he got, you know, yeah, at that point, he a millionaire. Yeah. And I'm just like, I can do that. I can yeah. do that. And I was real, like, hell bent on that. Like, I was valedictorian in eighth grade, pretty good student in high school. It was just a, a bunch of different changes. Yeah. So I think that was more sort of thing. But at that point, I knew I didn't want to do anything outside of music. And it was literally no resources, no outlets. I just knew, like, mm-hmm. because growing up, I always was into it, magazines. Um, listening to music, listening to, to my parents' music uh, that they had on the Walkman, CD right. players, and things like that. So I kind of knew, like, oh, I always felt strong, like, I'm going to do all I need to do to get to this point. But it came to a turning point, personally, for us. Um, I want to say prior to, prior to like, the Yeezus, but leading up to it, like, right. around the time, I want to say this was the summer of 2011, um... Louis, uh, one of my other homies who passed away, Snow, rest in peace, um, and my other homie, Wu, they did a mixtape together called Hard Body. And it just took off for some reason. I think it might have been, like, the right time, and I right. think they dropped it, like, right in the summer. And from that point, we just kept putting out content. Like, we literally put out videos either every week or every other week. And I remember... um. Andrew Barber from Fake Shore Drive reaching out saying that uh, there was an A&R from Atlantic that wanted to meet with us. So that was at the point where it's like, oh, it's reaching like people that can do something at right. that point. So we were like, at that point, you know what I'm saying? It was like a big thing for us to even be heard of by A&R. Because like I said, we had no checklist of things to do right. to get to a point where we could there's you know, no roadmap yeah there's no roadmap especially we talking 2011 you know just doing the blog era youtube just started picking up mm-hmm. um no digital streaming platforms right still physical record sales um but that that was one of the turning points and then i remember us putting out a lot of music during that time and then we uh got the attention to john monopoly yep and we linked up with him. Um, went through that situation. And a few months after that, we, um, like I said, we continued to drop music. We dropped Too Cool. Then we dropped the remix with 2 yeah, Chains. That was a big, that was that a was, big moment. I remember for us that too. being like, whoa. Yeah, nah. Because 2 Chains was hot at that time. And niggas in Chicago, I think niggas period was just like, just getting up on them. Like, I, I mean, we was like, that yeah, hard. Fans. Bro, play a circle? Come you on. You feel me? So, like, that whole moment in itself, like, how we even got the feature, I'm literally at the crib, and when Nop hit me at, like, 1 in the morning, randomly, like, yo, we about, we, I got two chains, y'all, y'all want to get this Texting verse Texting with him is the most frustrating thing in the world. Because <laughs> you'll text him, and you won't hear back for, like, six days. Right. And then he'll hit you at 1 o'clock in the morning. Hey, man, what's good? And you'll be like, wait. Like, what? I, don't, I forgot what I was even hearing Literally, for. I don't <laughs> even know. Yeah, no. Nah, so he hit me, like, 1 o'clock in the morning, like, yo. And with two chains, y'all want to get this feature done? Like, shit, yeah. We yeah. got up, <laughs> ran to the studio. It's the middle of the night. And I just remember, like, damn, this, I think this is a turning point. Yeah. Um, A few months after that, uh, we were in a situation with Epic Records. And that was, like, probably one of the affirmations. It was like, yeah, we really on the right mm-hmm. path. So, that so, probably was the time. That was the pivot. Okay. And then right after that, yeah. the, the deal with Epic was... March of 2012. Mm-hmm. So right after that, in February of uh, 2013, 
January and February of 2013 was when uh, we were working on Yeezus. Right. And were you out in Paris on that? Yeah. yeah. I went out there for a week. Uh, Louis went out there, I think, one time before that, or mm-hmm. maybe one time before and one time after that. But I went out there for a week. It was an, and that <laughs> that was another crazy experience too. <laughs> like that was in one of those moments. Where it's like, yeah, it's getting real. Like, wait, like, getting in the studio the first day, and it's like you seeing all these people who you know probably listen to. You know, it was my first time meeting Kanye, so it was. You know, you got a preconceived notion of how people gonna be based off their experience, their public persona, and things like that. But he was cool though. He was welcoming, overwelcoming. Right. You know what I'm saying? And that was kind of like a not a relief, but it was like, oh, everybody not assholes, or everybody, or right. maybe he just misunderstood. But it was a very interesting time just being in Paris. Like, did you? That was, your, rap, was that your like, first time? Yeah, to 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 do some shit that we love to do. It's like sure. we was having those moments where we like. Man, that shit crazy. It was it was such a impactful thing back home because 2011, you know, I think that so that Chief Ke- so brief history drill. So <laughs> Chief Keith, the thing that the national consciousness paid attention to was the World Star video with the little kid freaking out about Chief Keith. Yep. Chief Keith got out of jail. Was that late 2010? It was um, damn, I don't I don't think it was. I don't know. Anyway, so that happens. No, it was late uh, 2011. Okay, later. Yeah, 2011. And then starting in, I'd say probably last week of January, going into like South by Southwest season, 2012, everybody was just paying attention to Chicago. Like I got my phone blown up. David Drake got his phone blown up. Megan Garvey got her phone blown up. Barbara, good. I don't even know how he was living. And so literally everybody and their mom would come to town just hungry for what was going on in the city. And so then all of that starts happening, and then you start seeing, like, wait, is that Kanye? What? Like, Kanye, Chief Keef, Louis on some home. Like, the city, like, it was weird because Chicago has such a second city mentality for real in terms of, like, we want what everybody else has, but we don't, like, I don't know why we don't, like, put ourselves on the yeah, same build front. it ourselves. Right. Yeah. But it was so amazing and so rewarding to be like, holy shit, like, people, this is, this is, what a Ferris say. <laughs> right. Like, it's crazy. Um, and so to that point, I want to kind of go back to the cultural piece of it. You know, you're at a point now where you're in the room with these, you know, these 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 pop stars straight up, like rappers turn entertainers turn pop stars who are like legendary artists selling records. Did was there a situation where you were kind of looking around and you were like, okay, from a business perspective, like were you were you picking up game in that sense, or were you kind of learning how to game? A hundred percent, man. Like those situations, for what it's worth, I I, I love just being around because you pick up on stuff that you don't even think you're learning about, and it might not even be at that instant when you remember. It may be down the line, and you're like, "Damn, I remember when I was with such and such, and this happened, and they did it like this." And even just the whole process of composing music, just. I always leave with a, a a good sense of right where I should be headed, and if you know if I want to achieve a certain level of success, like my peers, at, you know, mm-hmm. at that point. Now you talked about your musical influence when you were coming up. What locally, like, what were you listening to growing up? Me personally, locally, um, earlier years, definitely like uh, Do or Die, Crucial Conflict, Psychodrama. Um. Locally, locally. I mean, you can say nationally too. I'm trying to think because it was a few Twister, um, of course Kanye. 
um, common. Yeah. Like the icons. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, think, we yeah. only had so much at that, <laughs> you know, yeah. at that point. And then um, Mickey. Mickey was so dope to me. Mickey. I met Mickey when I was like 13, 14 years old. I I I have a goal to get Mickey Halstead on this podcast. You should. I'm he I'm, uh, he, I'm working man, on it. He's a he's a great person to have on her. And yes. So Mickey Halstead, if you're listening, we need you, buddy. Come on the show, Mickey. Pull up. <laughs> Pull up. All right. So getting back to it, obviously influences, but let's talk about the pivot, right? Because you're in a situation now, you're in business, you know, you're looking around in the music industry. Obviously things are changing in the music music industry with, you know, advent of streaming, the numbers are changing, billboard is changing. Was there a moment where you looked around and were like, I got to start thinking about a different kind of opportunity? 100%. I think in in doing anything in business, you always got to, you know, be sharp at it. Is Whatever it is that you're doing, you got to understand the climate of whatever it is that you're in business doing. Otherwise, you limit it in yourself. You're not giving yourself the, the good opportunity to be successful as you, you know, want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so it definitely got to a point where, especially in music, where you see things change, and I'm kind of like one of those person people, like how you said earlier, where you want to know the backstory. So I kind of dive into a bunch of things. So a lot of my influences are people who, not only like entertainment gurus, but they're like business gurus too. Okay. Like I said, I was real diehard Jay Z fan, still am, but it was more so like the path that he took, because. That's why I said earlier, represent, representation matters because I looked on the TV and I saw somebody that looked like me come from the same circumstances that I did and made more of themselves than right. anything. So mm-hmm. it was just... Um, Do you feel like that's something that artists now need to be more cognizant of? Like they need to... Pay, I want to say need to. I think it's yeah. a good element to have because um, mm-hmm. everybody, um, you know, it's always predecessors in anything that we do. We have to look to the people before us to see what they did right, see what they did wrong, see how we can adjust and maybe move forward or, you know, do it in a different way where it benefits us because that's just, you know, not even just paying homage but just knowing what's going on. And I'm real big on that. Like, I'll sit down and read anything to figure out information, any article about streaming and how this works because it all changed in an instant. I literally remember, like, um, we were putting out a project and we was thinking about doing, like, physical and this was just like, this probably was like 2012 or 2013. And it was just changed. It just changed. It was like the overhead cost of printing CDs, getting the CDs printed, the inserts, the jewel cases, uh, distribution, like the yeah. <laughs> delivery costs. Like it's a lot of overheads versus you can go to TuneCore and digitally submit your music to the DSP. So but I think there's a lot of information out there about how to put your music on streaming, right? right. But I think, what I have yet to hear is a story of you are already a popular artist. At what point did you realize, Hey, our fans aren't listening to these CDs anymore. The fans demand it. And that's the, that's the great thing about um, music today and, and just social media and entertainment in general. A lot of things is direct to consumer. So your fans can reach out directly to you and be like, Hey, I love this song. Why isn't it available where I listen to my music at? Mm-hmm. And, you know, any good business, you take that in consideration. And then once you see that multiple times, so you see that's a reoccurring thing, then you, you know, you investigate, you look into it. And you also, like I say, you just got to give yourself that advantage. It, you know, we had a disadvantage if we're not having music available. If everybody has a smartphone, or, you know, whether it's an iPhone or Samsung, or whatever, but they have access to any DSP 
Title, Apple Music, um, Amazon, Spotify, right. any of those things, and they digest music like that digitally on mobile, you know, on the mobile devices, YouTube, all these platforms that's very accessible. So you got to give yourself the advantage to you know be accessed. Right. There's also I've noticed it's some call it indie, some call it just straight direct to consumer, like you said. But there's a there's a bunch of rappers now who have kind of said, okay, the major label system is not for me. You know, I think probably currencies in that list. Yep. You know, right before this little project that he's doing now, Gibbs would have been on that list. Like, is it a situation where I I think for me it makes sense because I think you're getting a better return on your investment. I know for a fact that the show that I'm playing in Baton Rouge is going to sell out because I know that my fans in Baton Rouge have been asking me to come for like a month. You right. know what I'm saying? So like, is that is? Do you think that's an option that more artists should consider? Yeah, they definitely should consider it more. Be more hands on and understand um, the meta, the metadata, and you know, and with these streaming sites because you can go on YouTube and see where they're streaming your songs at the most. And that's where you can, you know, eventually do a show where you know it's demand for you there. Um, you can start marketing there, do radio there, um, and just market specifically to a certain demographic, a certain age group. Yeah. It's a lot of stuff that you can do. Um, I, I, I'm definitely um, an advocate for it because it helps you in what you're doing. The labels, they, you know, they're going to be labels. They're not going to always understand your vision or want to move when you want to move. So in the meantime, you can be putting together your own plan and uh, getting things moving so when you do have that hit record, when you do get traction, it's yeah. easier for them to step in and do what they need to for do. For sure. Right. And, and now in the era of streaming, in the era of high-paced technolo- technological change, right? there were 80 out of the last 100 years when almost nothing changed in terms of revenue sources exactly. for artists. But now, like, uh, like you're talking about being nimble and just saying, like, if that's where the, uh, the audience is, you should be there, right? And that's, I think, a new thing for people in your position, right? Yeah, because normally it was kind of like a um, a sad thing. You would, you know, certainly go to certain cities, you know, and do it in a certain manner. You go do radio. You know, it was like a, yeah. you know, it's kind of like a template. But now you get to um, engage in different ways. You know, if you have um, a heavy presence in the Midwest, then maybe you can start doing pop-ups with your merchandise. There's a lot of mm-hmm. things outside of uh, music that you can do to capitalize off the fan base and the following and things like that. So so what are some of those things besides streaming, live performance, merchandise? What else are, are artists I mean, outside of music, it would definitely be merchandise. Um, meet and greets are a big thing. Mm. Endorsement deals. It's a lot of brands, a lot of companies that want to use the influence that artists have to get their product or service to a certain demographic. And that's part of the marketing company knowing, hey, this artist got this reach to this 18 to 24-year-old age group, and we have these products that's specifically geared to people 21 and up. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I'm always trying to tell producers, like, there's so many opportunities to get your music heard in a sense of, like, I I use the example of, like, those stock royalty sites. Those You know, people always talk about it, like, oh, I don't want my beats out there like that. But I was like, those beats are used in the background of TV shows. They're used in the background of radio shows. I mean, any any ad, I can tell you as a fact, somebody working for a major brand, like when we were at Red Bull, we would kill to have some music that actually sounded good to put on a presentation, to put underneath the video. Because the stuff sounds kind of like generic and formulaic. But I was like, if there's a young producer who... You know, maybe you don't want to be famous, but you want to make money doing music. It's like that's a lane that you don't I don't think people pay attention to. Licensing. Yeah. Licensing. That's exactly. one thing I always try to tell people um, 
it's the music business. So that's why I always pride myself on doing business. Anytime I got any business deal going on, I'm excited. You know, and it might, you know, people will probably be like, it's just business. But I get yeah. a rush out of, you know, completing it. Oh, it's successful. It's done. It's because, cool. Because you're trying to handle your business. Yeah. Like, And so I think here's a question for you then from the standpoint of when you made that pivot into the business sector fully, you know, you're doing things. You have a couple of buckets, you know, mm-hmm. you're putting money into and getting money out of what is the like the conversation changed probably yeah a hundred percent and it's so weird because like I say even the uh, process of me just becoming you know full time management for Louie just outside of everything else um it literally kind of happened overnight like the next day he was like bro you should just manage me I'm like bet shit let's go <laughs> made a e- made a book and email that day um. We like made an announcement on social media, and it's just here we are today. Um, but that was at the time when we were actually doing Tony, so we were recording like BON, living down Chicago, till like me, Selena. We were like putting that project yeah. together, so that's at that time that it happened. And um, Alex, have you heard those? Have you listened? To, have you heard of King Louis before? I have not. All right, cool. We gonna we gonna do the greatest hits. Yeah, you gotta. Yeah, we gonna send them through the greatest. Yeah, I'm gonna hit you with the greatest hits. It's oh, fantastic. Give them the whole story. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that was at that time frame. Um. So we were kind of like just working. And I remember like um, being in a position where I'm like a liaison between artists and label, but it wasn't nothing like official. And then it was just like overnight, it just kind of happened. So, and I just, you know, you have growing pains, you learn stuff like, okay, we got a show, I bet. You only thinking about, okay, we got a show, we getting paid for the show. It's like, damn, well, who gonna be our DJ? You know, how are we going to get to the show? You need transportation, you know, security. And um, so, it's, you know, you start going through that. And this is just a, a time where you realize how music evolves. You go into the show, CDs, CDs scratch, you might break them. It's like, damn, okay, I got to bring a backup CD. It's like, damn, I don't even, maybe I should bring a USB. And you just get to a point where you learn and you, you learn how to do it. Me, I know I love doing business, but I also love doing business conveniently. So what I would do now, and it's just free game for anybody that's a manager, uh, if I don't have my own personal DJ, I'll, you know, reach out to whoever the promoter is and whoever DJing that night, get them the music days in advance. Like, this is the music that we're going to do. This is set list. Da, da, da. So by the time we arrive, we just have to take care of what we got to take care of. And I, I learned that just to make my job easier. Because if I make my job easier, then I have room to do other things. So that's kind of how I approach a lot of things. Like instead of it being a problem or an issue, I try to like figure out a way around it a lot of times. And that's just how life is. Shit going to happen. You just got to get through it. Like <laughs> <laughs> we could have ended the episode right there. <laughs> Look, okay, so going into the pivot into the cannabis industry, mm-hmm. I want to get a sense of when you knew it was something that could be a realistic option for you. Well, I've been a long time enthusiast. It's crazy because I never, uh, I never smoked like when I was younger, or yeah, in high yeah, school, yeah. or nothing like that. I was like one of the guys that my guys would come back in from lunchtime because we had uh, off-campus lunch, so yeah. they would come back in high, high smelling like weed, high park. Okay, that's what's up. They would come in smelling like weed, and I would just look at them like, man, y'all crazy, bro. Y'all really smoking and coming back in school. So it kind of started like, you know, once, like I say, once I uh, got out of school, I didn't want to go to college. I kind of just like wanted to do music, so. It was always a natural progression. It started just like, you know, being in the studio, just 
being around, trying to take the edge off. To you know, just get to a point where it's just relaxing. My main thing is, I never wanted to look at myself like a pie head or a weed head or something like that. And I always been against people even saying anything remotely close to it because it's not like I'm in need of anything. It's just I enjoy the you know the elements the that benefits it brings. From it. Yeah, you know, the, the benefits. benefits. It, you know, you're more creative. You get to. There's such a thing as responsible usage. Yeah, it's that's definitely it's such any, that's anything, with anything. Yeah, responsible uh, gun ownership is responsible. Drinking, use is well, responsible. I, drinking. I mean, that's I think one of the big things that the legalization discussion has brought up is that there are millions of people using marijuana responsibly already, already out yeah. there, and there's you know that that the certain that like you said, like there's potheads out there who are kind of giving everyone else a yeah. bad name, and the you know there's but even those potheads, like I think it's not the same because I think like the potheads you see is like funny. Yeah. Right, it's yeah. like oh that dude got too high. Oh he fell asleep in the club. Ha ha ha! It's not like booze where it's like hey he killed somebody. Right, you right. know what I mean. But but like on the creative side, I mean, pot has a like it is it it does facilitate jazz like, cigarettes, some, right. baby. Like exactly. you know what it is exactly. And it's been going on way before us. But I've always been adamant of just not having that stigma placed on me. And I've always for a long time just kind of was like yo I wanna I wish I could have a job in the marijuana industry. I wish I could. You know, right. when, when I get old, I want to have my own farm. When I do this, I want to. I wish I could just get paid for weed. I wish I could go to school to weed. I wish I could just learn how to do it. Then I started like going to places where it was legal and seeing like, yo, this shit is still in the United States. When I go back home, like I could potentially be arrested for this shit. I could have a record, which could, you know, hinder me from getting a job, which I never, you know. But still, it'll ruin your yeah, life. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. it kind of, you know, depending on what you get caught with and what you, you know, get. They say you're trying to do anything like that. But that's what really opened up my eyes, and I, I kind of always been like advocating for it to be like some form of um, legal. Right. Well, uh, the other piece about marijuana, and I think the most effective piece of the war on drugs, other than just the criminalization, is the stigma. Right. Because we're a dare generation. Right. You smoke pot. 100%, yeah. We smoke pot. You're not gonna achieve anything in your life. They and took the- weed off the list of. Um, what was it like? Uh, gateway drugs or gateway drugs? drugs. Or something? Yeah. yeah, it was a gateway drug because it, that was. And people still say it to this day, where it's like the people whose job it is to advocate for the policy that is anti marijuana, right? You know, whatever industry that is funding that information, it's a situation where they it's a, it's a public opinion piece, it's public policy, and they use the, the the networks that they have to do that, right? So it's like media, whatever. The thing I'm always frustrated about is the <laughs> one cognitive dissonance of it because it's like. You're talking about these people as these lazy and you're doing this weed. You're not going to ever amount to anything. Meanwhile, you had, a, again, a Dave Matthews band concert. <laughs> you know, you were at the Grateful Dead show. It's OK. And so for me, I've always thought of that. It's like hypocrisy because now it's like, no, no, no. Like everybody's already doing it. Yeah. And then there was another like element of it for me, like just being in the entertainment industry. You know, you be around a lot of different stuff. It's a lot of harder stuff going on than just smoking weed man like (laughs) and i've always kind of felt like man smoking weed is like on the lower lower the totem pole than than what everything else that's going on like that's the last thing you should be trying to criminalize somebody for like like lou reed said right to survive that scene you know you got to be hip enough to be square right exactly like like know your limits and yeah you know well it's just also like any creative industry i think People who, I think you have to have, like, the intersection of what it takes to be a creative person. It's like you have to be kind of highly emotional, I would say, highly sensitive, you know, artistic. You know, you have a need to connect and a need to experience things and share those things with other people, right? The problem with that is that consistent 
emotion that consistent anything you do to excess will kill you right so like i know a lot of people that are creatives that are depressed now because it's like you're so highly sensitive you've exposed so much to yourself and you get involved in a situation like a tough industry like a, the music industry or entertainment where it's such a zero-sum game that like it can mess you up and so anything that can help people process as well as still be able to create in a way that they're happy with, I'm here for. Because the alternative is like everybody peeled up or dead. Right, you know what I'm right, saying? Or going crazy. Or going or crazy. I mean, I mean there, there are, you're exactly right. There's emotional tolls on being a creative who is making living their living. Yeah, you got to live your life in the public eye. Yeah. You know, yeah. you got to face about, scrutiny, everything. Like, like I just well, got married and I always laugh because somebody, there was somebody told me they were like, you know, when you, your wedding day is what it's like to be a celebrity. Oh yeah, and I was like, if this like just the attention and people want to get hey touch you, talk you, take a picture with you, and I'm like, if I had to do that every single day of my life, yeah, I'd be crazy. It's be, overwhelming. That's honestly yeah. one of the main reasons why I stopped doing like music myself. I'm not even the person that like a, a bunch of attention. I don't be in videos. Right. Like I'm just, I just like to you know be me. It's, it's it's more rewarding when you could still be successful and enjoy that without like. The guy the guy. Yeah, I always tell, I always, so I, whenever I go talk to kids who always want to talk about, inf, you know, media or entertainment or whatever, I always say, you have to pick now. Do you want to be in the front or do you want to be behind the scenes? And you have to be honest with yourself about what you want because what happens is, and you've seen it on both sides, I'm sure, somebody who is in front doesn't want to be in front and is miserable because they can't be left alone. Somebody who's behind the scenes, who secretly wants to be in the front, got right. resentment, you're exactly. jealous, you got ego issues. And it's like, if Crazy. you were just honest with yourself, yes, if you want to be in the front, be in the front. I think that's why me and Louis' situation works so good. because All we, partnerships. like Yeah, that. we just know exactly what you know we need each other to do and how to execute it. Um, so that's always been an amazing situation to be in. And even like you, we spoke to earlier about the pivot in the music, like or even the time where... I became manager for a time. It was like now I was dealing with my peers, but I'm dealing with them professionally. So I had to draw the, the pivot, line of yep. like, yeah, we could be homies after talk about that boundaries though, because you know, after we, you know, after you execute the contract and you uh, send a yeah. deposit. But wait, wait, let's you go know, back to that though because you know that's important because I think a key distinction when people first start getting into business side of things or like they have a project or they have a creative aspect that starts making some money. Talk to me about the difference between doing business with friends and doing business with colleagues. Because um, I think it's a situation where people expect, oh, we're friends for 10 years. We've so known you it's, forever. It's, it's, a sense, it's sensitive doing business with friends sometimes if they don't understand how business operates. And that's one thing I'm always preaching to people is just understand what it is you're doing and understand what you're getting yourself into. So if you have any questions, you know, you should just ask them. So you can honestly just know. And that's one thing I learned trial and error doing business. Like, oh, man, I forgot to ask that. Oh, right. I got to ask this. Oh, shit, I got to ask this next time. So now, you you know, you get to a point where, you know, if you're smart enough in business, you get to a point where you remember that and you rectify that and you come back to the table bigger and better the next time you're doing something. But doing business with friends is – the friends that understand the business, it's amazing. Yeah. Like, so it's, it's no problem. They understand they got to get clearances to put out records or, you know what I'm saying? So – they pretty much get it. Colleagues, um, it's cool sometimes. I just, like I said, I, I love doing business with people I have relationships with. It just make it easy. It's an easier conversation mm -hmm. to okay. get messages across. And so speaking of those relationships, how did you get into the deal that got us the King Louis situation? Um, Strength. 
through our, our partners at SDC, which is uh, San Diego Cannabis, uh, Ryan Lang. He's from shout Chicago. To, yeah, he's from, I've known him for years. Yeah, shout out, shout out to Ryan. Ryan. Yeah, that's my homie. Uh, he was around doing stuff in the industry here. We did yeah. a- um, Arpentry, all that. Yep. yep. We did a mixtape release party for Illuminati 2 at Lacuna, and we had these cool signs. It was like the Illuminati logo, King Louis logo, and they lit up. But it was like um, controlled by Xbox control. They lit up different colors. And Ryan did it for us. Oh, wow. And it was dope. So we uh, kind of stayed in contact, uh, definitely through social media. Um, this was literally years ago. So somewhere down the line, we um, I think this was maybe two years ago when we, when we were on tour, Chance, for the uh, Be Encouraged tour. San Diego was our first stop, and at this point, Ryan was in San Diego working, um, doing the uh, custom bike thing. Right. And, you know, of course, like concert photos for artists, and I think he was working on a television show at some point. Um, you know, he was just doing a bunch of different things in entertainment. Uh, we hung out then, of course, indulged. Uh, <laughs> as one know, does. As one does when you're at a you know, rap show. But... um. Yeah, we just kind of kept in contact, and then the opportunity came up. He reached out to us. We were actually in Los Angeles last, I want to say last, yeah, last February. And uh, he had hit me prior to that, like, yo, we stepping into the cannabis industry. I think it would be dope if we can, you know, do some business with you guys. Um, I don't know how y'all feel about it, but we're with this company, we, you know, we want to meet. We just want to come show you guys what we got going on. And I'm literally sitting there like light bulbs going off in my head like crazy. Like, what the fuck? Of course. Yeah, we want to meet. Let's go. Let's figure it out. You're like, you don't have to sell <laughs> right, you, you, I sold when you said business industry. <laughs> so let's no go. Set. Let's figure it out. Okay. And so then was it cause, because the California's legal at the time, Illinois yep. might have just been medicinal? I yeah, I think that. Illinois might have just been medicinal in 2017. Like just, yeah, it just happened. So, so yeah, a couple years before maybe. Okay. But so to that point, talk to us about, because again, not a ton of African-Americans in this space. Man. And so I guess in your travels and like kind of getting into this industry, like for folks who are, you know, Maybe their situation where they're getting an urban farming, they're trying to figure out their next play on this. You know, I think a lot of the business side of it, unfortunately, might already be sewn up in terms of like the dispensary. Yeah, especially in Illinois at this point. Um, but yeah. we got to fight. That's why I said, like, you know, it may be cliche, but representation matter. When you see somebody that look like you, that come from the same circumstances you have, you know, and they entering in, you know, anything that you may want to do the same thing, it gives you a sense of like, okay, this could actually happen. And that was one of the focal points behind me doing this deal. It took me a year to complete it, like uh, over a year. And we just put out our first products uh, June 18th, the uh, oil carts, the King Louis oil carts. Um, so it took a year to get through that point. And even just being a businessman, just coming from the music industry, like I said, just doing good business and, you know, keeping those relationships, around somebody I knew for uh, – a long time right. personal relationship it wasn't somebody that i just met or had to convince that we should be in business doing this they approached us with the opportunity because he you know is a long time supporter of what we do mm. and he's you know thought it was be a good fit just like we did so it was kind of a no-brainer for us 
it was just working through the logistics of, okay, yeah, we want to do this, but legally, how the fuck can we do this? Because I have homies who've been like, I've personally <laughs> been um, arrested right. for small amounts of marijuana. You know, I got my record expunged and shit like that, but I understand the whole struggle. Like, it's literally people sitting in jail right now for marijuana, and you go to, you can even go to Michigan now. They have medicinal. It's recreational. Oh, shit, it's recreational. Oh, yeah. So, you know, you got states that's close to us that decriminalize it, and we see the effects and we see the pros, we see the cons, but it's more pros for us being people of color because we're targeted demographically with certain laws systematically. You know what I'm saying? we're more than likely to be put in, you know, worse positions than right. anyone else. So I think a lot of the, um, one of the big reasons why I did it and why I'm like so excited about it is because we're a black owned company. Right. And we get to do. Now there's not that many of those. No. Like in those, even, the, even yeah. the other partners that's, you know, with the, with the company. Um, but even it's just in my experience going to dispensaries, um, going to, you know, farms or like he was speaking to the different aspects of business that's related to cannabis. You can be a farmer, you can be um distributor, retailer, distributor, retailer, yeah. marketing, I mean, marketing. Yeah. <laughs> right. You yeah. know what I'm saying? You can testing digital labs. design, testing labs. And so for our perspective, I mean, as an agency, you know, working in that space of design, development and content, you know, that that is an industry that obviously everybody's like, ooh, I want to win a weed client because it's sexy right now. But I think People also, and this is something that speaks back to your musical uh, industry experience. You have to differentiate the product. A hundred percent. Right. And that's part of, excuse me, that's part of um, the reason why um, this deal is so exciting because, like I said, it took us a year to get through it legally. Because um, the whole thing is kind of reckless. Like, people name strains whatever they wanted to do. Yeah. Like, I've heard of King Louis strains. Yeah. I know it wasn't touching y'all. Yeah, no. Nah. Yeah. And that's kind of what's like. You know, we got people like, yo, y'all got your own weed, y'all got your own this, on that. It got to the point where we were seeing, like, the logo on weed. It's like, wait, we got to, you know, figure it out. So, that, like I said, that came at the right time when it's like, you know what, yeah, let's let's get into it. And throughout the course of the year, we just um, working through the regulations in California, you know, with certain products, coming up with products, uh, what works, what won't work, uh, what, you know, fits for our brand, um, what works for us uh, as far as a marketing standpoint. Um you know, things that will work for, you know, marketing to our peers and, yeah. you know, just the fan base and things like that. So it took a, a bit of time to get through. And we finally got to the point where we could, you know, put our products. But it's a great thing because now even when I'm out, like all my friends now, and I've been telling them it's, it's weird because I've been telling them for a long time, like, yo, yeah, I got this, you know, this cannabis company. I just partnered with these people. Uh, it's part of my homie Ryan. We're about to, you know, put out some products. Ooh. But to the average person listening to me talk to them, preconceived notion, it looks like I'm just selling weed or something. Right. You're just literally like, so they like oh, the okay, that's that's oh, that's cool. Great, buddy. Right. All right, I'll text you right, my yeah. friends in town. <laughs> right. right. But to your point, it's really important that the benefits, right, that, that we're, we're, we have yeah. the potential of all these benefits, right, and let's make sure that, that representation will make sure that, that those benefits are evenly distributed versus like- Evenly, yeah. Yeah, versus like one class of, of people are, are getting this kind of benefit versus, you know- And, and that, was a, that was also a, um, a thing that Ryan and the guy over at SDC were um, keen on like even when I brought up the uh, the idea of you know just having a, 
a fund or a situation where we just allocate towards like helping people navigate legally through the system. You know, people that is affected by the marijuana Talk about laws. that so people know what it um, is. Yeah, I mean, now with Illinois having recreational available in January uh, 2020, part of the deal is um, expungement of nonviolent marijuana offenders, which is an amazing thing because it's a bunch of people of color that's involved, not just only people of color, people um, of all races, but, you know, we're the majority higher of that percentage, case. Yeah, yeah higher percentage. Um, so that gives people opportunity who may not ha- may or may not have access to money for bail, may or may not have access to money for lawyers to fight a case or to beat a case and things like that. And that was one thing that I was always adamant about is just figuring out a way we can just help those people because I understand what that do for you. Like, today in 2019, like, it's still crazy that you could still get locked up for weed. Uh, small amounts where it's decriminalized totally in certain other places. So that's one big thing that was like a problem for me because right. you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, like what? I would literally go to some of these dispensaries and you know, of course, you know, I'm with an artist, I'm with King Louis. They're like, right. oh yeah, we're going to show y'all around. We're about yeah. to give y'all the, the grand tour. Right. Yeah. You go into the bag, it's 200 pounds and you like overwhelmed. Yeah. Like, like half baked. Like I can be in here. <laughs> like what's going on? Now we wow. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. it's like, that's funny. it's like, yo, we got to figure out a way where we in a position to do this. Like, but that's also me being a business minded person and thinking like, yo, we're, yeah, we're involved because we're like, we're here and they're showing us love. But what about the people that's growing this? What about the people that they're buying it from? What about the people that's the you, supply chain? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? What about the supply chain? My man came with supply chain logistics. I'm like, how, like, wait. <laughs> I'm like, how does this work? You know what I mean? Like, and then I'm I'm just looking at all the things. Like, oh, they only accept cash and then they taxing it. Mm-hmm. It's normally this. And, you know, it's a 15% sales tax in California. Then you got your county tax. Like, And where are you going to where do you put the money at the end of the you day? You know what I'm right? saying? Yeah. yeah. And my, big, going? Yeah. my biggest thing was just figuring out, like, man, if we had this type of opportunity, it could open up a lot of revenue streams, not only for myself, but, you know, people like me and people that's just advocates and enthusiasts. It's a lot of different jobs that come with it, from cultivation, to distributing, marketing, sales. Yep. It's a bunch of things. Like, even that we go through the process that, that we go through, putting together our products, or coming up with the product testing, uh, approval of uh, marketing ideas, approval of packaging ideas. Like it's a bunch of small stuff that you got to get through. Just yeah. right. It's just brand management. <laughs> you know right? what I'm this saying? Is, like, that's, but that's, that's a great point because I think, and this is segue into a next question. I mean, the intersection between that culture and that business, right? There, I, we don't, we're starting a new segment right now. Literally, it's called Free Game. Here we go. Um, if you're an artist and you own your trademark in every other facet of the business, you should probably look into finding a way to trademark a strain of weed mm-hmm. or at least making sure your paperwork's right in that space. Would you say so? Yeah. It's um, it's lucrative. And not only by it being lucrative, it's just you go hand it's in hand. It's passive money. Yeah, you it's know passive what I'm income. Music and marijuana go hand in hand. Like when you, a lot of these rappers are artists in the studio that are smoking weed, whether they're smoking joints, blunts, out of bowl, yeah. um, wax, Volcano, you whatever know what it I'm is. saying? Yeah. Like they, you know, they indulge, and so yeah. it go hand in hand. That's why I always say that it was a seamless integration for us to get into it. We just didn't see a clear path, and once we had the opportunity, we jumped on it 100. percent Okay, so for those folks who are in those spaces, let's say you're mid level rapper, right? You got a couple hits, mm-hmm. you know, you're not like bubbling, bubbling, right? What do you think they should? Because I, mean, I think a lot of people are gonna be like, well, how? How do I get into it? 
And it's like, yeah, what is the first And you know stop? what? That's 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 another thing. I was just having this conversation with one of my friends yesterday because he was like, "What? Let me go back to the point where I said I was telling a bunch of my friends that I had a cannabis company, right? And they thought you were just and selling. they, you know, they thought it was just you were just serving. Yeah, they thought it was just <laughs> slanging weed. And I'm like, you know what? Let me just focus my energy into the business and getting these products to market. So when they see the magnitude of what I'm talking about, it could be more than what I'm explaining to them. Like my partners um, of at, at Next Green Wave, which is another partner company with uh, SDC with Ryan them, they're a publicly traded company on the Canadian stock market. Like the CEO was literally in Europe at a like a cannabis convention speaking yesterday. Like you could go on the Canadian stock market and invest into them right now. And, and on the federal level, if marijuana was legalized across the United States on the federal level, that's what you would see here, right? Exactly. And they um, acquired other businesses, you know, did business to be fully functional and operational in California. You know what I mean? And they um, acquired SDC, which they acquired us, you know, and we're powered by a great company to facilitate. The facility is up uh, north in California. Coalinga, California is a 35,000-square-foot facility. It's a separate facility for extractions and, uh, like, you know, the turpins and yeah, everything. Like, it's like going on that tour was a real eye-opener because, you know, when, like we're looking at all the other partners. You got Kerry Hart, Legendary, Motocross. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, yeah. Bike Rider. Then we have uh, the guys at well, you know, I can't really, you know, yeah, release you gotta, everything. Yeah, but, you yeah. know, the people that they promote, you know, low-key the dog is like a dog that got CBD treats. <laughs> so right then and there was one of those moments like pivotal. was like, wait, nobody else here looks like us. Mm-hmm. We have to do this and we have to do it the right way so we can be respected. And that's one thing I take pride in is doing business respectfully to the point where people respect you regardless of. What right. what's presented? Because I do business. I like I do some of the most like high level business doing stuff, mm-hmm. clearing records. Yeah, da 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 da. I be chilling. I don't got to put on a suit. Yeah, thank God that I don't got to be confined <laughs> to anybody's physical space. Right, right. You can move literally, free, like you know, be remote. I could be on an island, like yeah, knocking out emails, clear the record, send. <laughs> uh, here's the banking info, send. <laughs> Deposit received. Transfer money. Boop. You know, yep. Sips mojito. <laughs> um, so that's the great part about it. So I just um, personally, for me, I always tell my friends like me, just um, showing God that I'm thankful is just me doing business right. the right way and and really capitalizing off of it. Right. But it was important for me to wait and have the presentation like that so people could get the full picture because when. Mm-hmm. Now, now when they see I do the press interview in Montreal on a television station, people really like lost their mind. Like, wait, wait, wait. So you got a real like cannabis company? Like, yeah, they thought you were bullshit. Yeah, I'm like, nah, bro. And you know the product's out now. So like, wait, what? The pro? Yeah. <laughs> you know they're like, wait, the wait, best wait, feeling wait. in the world is dropping something and people being like, wait, what? You just yeah, like, no, told we, you. we got a bunch of that. And it was it was an amazing feeling because it was like, you know, retribution of what, you know, hard work of what we've been going through, fighting through regulations, delays, um, you know, coming up with different products and, you know, sampling the whole process, which I was, you know, just, again, being a businessman, mm-hmm. a person looking at all these different areas that's involved with cannabis. And right. I, always, I always find it funny that um, 
I'm going to need my friends for marketing research. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Consumer sampling. Yeah. Consumer sampling, uh, influencer campaigns. Hey. Things of that nature. I don't know if you know this, um, but Office Hours is a great show. You know what I mean? Fantastic people. You know, oh, we can, you know, really, we can really power. Really fun audience. Yeah, yeah, we can power, you know, a bunch of things. I and love it. That's that's why I'm so excited because we have leeway to do a bunch of things. We're not just confined and be like, hey, you guys got to do this. Like the the my partners over at SDC are amazing with like coming up with ideas and just giving us the room to be like, go right. Like what you want to do? All right, all you're not micromanaged. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying. That's another free game. Um, if you are in an organization and you are leveraging talent um from a specific base that you're trying to reach, you should probably get your must-have items in. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you need them to do some promo or whatever, you got to put yep. that in a contract from jump, and then get out of the way. Yeah, because the quickest way to ruin a brand campaign is to micromanage it. Yeah, back man. to you, though. And that's one thing that we did not want to be involved in because we, you know, we're a longtime enthusiast. We're in the culture, and you know, it's part of the reason. That's part of the reason why partnerships work because you know, people on one side offer value in one space, and people on the other side offer value in another space, and you come together and you make things happen. So that's why I was excited being with them. They fully got the picture they brung the picture to they brung the canvas to us and we were just painting it right right you know what i'm saying i love it so, so bringing it back to the crib real quick um so now obviously you know a couple of days ago um recreational marijuana was legalized in illinois starting january 1 2020 yep how are you like as somebody who's already in the industry but also as somebody who's of the culture in the city of chicago how are you feeling about it i'm excited about it like i said for a long time i've always tried to figure out what could we do like I used to even like tweet out petitions for people to sign, like, yo, we got a, another bill. It might get shot down, but if we get enough yeah, signatures, you, try, yeah. you know what I'm saying? So I've, I've always kind of been in that space, but not like formally. Um, but the space I'm in now is amazing. I think it's great for the city. I think it's great for the state as a whole. Um, you know, if it's done right, other states, California, Colorado, um, a bunch of other states that's decriminalized or have some form of medical or recreational marijuana. Right. They do great with the taxes. And that's yeah, one thing I want to, um, I, you know, I'm not sure as all of the specifics of the bill. Right. But personally, me, I would like to see uh, taxes go to a public school system so, first. So that, looking at the budget or how they were going to allocate the funds, 8% of what they get is going to education. And I think a lot of people are mad. We need like 15 right. or 25%. So a lot of people expected it because I think a lot of people campaigned on that, right? You right. expect this money is going to go to schools, it's going to go to roads, it's going to go to infrastructure. And I think the thing that I've been hearing from folks is that they don't want it used for the pension issue, but the pension issue is the biggest problem that Illinois yeah. has, right? Yeah, a lot of, you know, a lot of states go through financial uh, situations. I just think it's a way of opening up revenue. That's just, that's just it's like more money than you yeah, have. That's just like us stepping into the cannabis industry. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like we're giving ourselves opportunities to do things, bigger things. Also, like I always love when people get precious about cash. It's like, wait, you don't have even if it's twelve hundred dollars. That's twelve hundred right. more dollars than you had yesterday. Exactly. So take the money. <laughs> take the money. <laughs> yeah, and, and even in business, you know, learners, you know, you don't you can either have nothing or have a little. But uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm for it all all the way, and I just want to find a space um where we can fit in that culturally, um where we can provide jobs and you know be a provider of services, um, marketing ideas, uh, even cultivation. I'm I have a big idea of doing urban cultivation. It's a lot of vacant lots throughout the city. You know, yeah, we can do some things. There it is. I so love it. I'm. You know, one of my goals is 
course, being successful, but taking that success and streamlining it to the city, surrounding areas to provide more resources, opportunities, and information. Um, just with cannabis, just like I say, just fighting the stigma and more so going to, you know, figuring out the pros to it. It's a bunch of pros and cons. Taxes being one of the cons, mm. um, quality being right. another thing. Um, but opportunity is the biggest thing. For sure. I love it. Okay. So this is the part of the podcast where we do your homework for the week. Mm-hmm. And so for folks who are listening, we recommend one thing. It could be anything. Something you recommend for listeners to check out this weekend. Um, What, music or this Literally anything? anything? Check out this book titled Crushing by T.D. Jakes. That's one thing I try to do more of is read. Um, I got books for you. My thing is, I'm a weirdo. I send people books. <laughs> I just tough. I just pull up on you with a couple yeah. of books. <laughs> right. All right. Alex, do you have something? I, I totally agree. The, the way to get somebody to read a book is literally just to hand it to them. Yeah. Like, uh, I totally agree with that. As far as, like, you talked to me about what are we going to recommend, you know what occurred to me is about a year and a half ago, uh, like, I've done crossword puzzles my whole life. A year and a half ago, I got the app, New York Times Crossword Puzzle. Mm. Um and I started doing the crossword puzzle in the app. Right. Um, and in March, I looked back and looked at how much better at it I, I had gotten. Right. You know? um, so my recommendation, A, do something every day because mm-hmm. you're going to get better at it. I yeah. like that. Do something because that's me. I do it every day. I'm not like, Once oh, you got to, yeah. I'm not like red from, uh, what's that, five heartbeats? Yeah. <laughs> Office hours are from nine to five. five like now, yeah. I'll literally be like pick up the phone at twelve thirty a.m. Like, oh, you want to do a show? All right, well, you know, hey, yeah. what's you know, what's the location? What's the venue? What's right. the capacity? See, <laughs> you know, I, I'm okay. Like, I'm with you questions. on that to a point because you still got to establish some yeah, boundaries. No, I, and then I still be hustling. You know, I yeah, still yeah. just got that. You like, got to. Let's do it. Let's get it. Let's I figure it. it out. My recommendation for the week is a little more intro. Uh, it's okay. My recommendation is sparkling water. <laughs> and not for the reason you think not because sparkling water is delicious not because it's effervescent all of those things are accurate as alex takes a big swig um sparkling water <sighs> helped me lose 45 pounds wow i am down 40 Wait a minute. Yeah. where did you have what what yeah i lost 45 pounds wow before and so the main reason i did it and the main way that i did it was i used to drink a lot of pop I stopped drinking pop because I started drinking sparkling water because it was the habit of having that with my food, the habit of, you know, mixing it with your drink, whatever. It's the habit. And so I stopped drinking pop. And again, if you drink pop, great. Do your thing. But don't drink as much. I had to literally stop drinking pop. I've I've probably been not been drinking it for like two or three months at this point. But it got to a point later I'm drinking Pepsi every single day. And I got that bad habit from my grandmother. Same. Same. Um, and so I think it's a situation when I tell people this, I'm like, because people don't believe me, but I'm, I lost 45 pounds, just, you know, started working out a little bit. Not a, a lot. Like, I'm still buffalo chicken sandwich to the face. <laughs> but legitimately stopped drinking pop. I lost seven pounds in 12 days. Damn. I can believe it. Bro, I didn't change anything else about my life. So my recommendation and your homework for the week is if you drink a ton of pop, Swap out your pop this weekend only. You ain't got to do it again for the rest of your life. I don't care. Just swap it out. And if you start, if you notice a difference, maybe do it another time. That's dope. That's That's it. Yeah. All right, cool. So, folks, this is Office Hours. 
Doe, thank you so much for coming. Tell the people where they can find thank you. you. You can find me nowhere. Nah, I'm just kidding. You can <laughs> find me on Twitter at Big Homie Doe, uh, Instagram, I-A-M-B-H-D. Or you can find me at, you know, one of Louis' shows. I'm easy to find there, man. It's <laughs> business going on. You're going to see me. That's it. But uh, one more thing. Just make sure you check out Louis' new single, Tesla. We just dropped the video. We're going to play it at the end of the episode. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to drop it. Y'all check that out. New project coming soon. Lots of great music. Got a couple features for you guys. Tons of content. Tons of new products. Tons of new business. Just tons of everything, man. And we're just excited to finally give it to the people. I love it. All right. This is Office Hours. I'm Ernest Wilkins. I'm Alex Menokel. We will see you next time. In her Nissan, it look like a Lexus. Yeah. I pop the dinner and smoke dough for breakfast. Yeah. Face shots in the daytime, send a message. Yeah. I never met Elon, but I drove a Tesla. You ain't Office Hours with Ernest Wilkins was recorded live at Mass in the greatest city in the world, Chicago, USA.